Okay, so before we start the show, I want to ask you all a favor. We're going to do a new segment on the podcast that we plan on launching in the next couple weeks, and it involves you, our beloved listeners and community. It's called I Plucked Up. All you need to do is send me a voice memo or recording of your most recent or biggest pluck up and how you got out of it or what you learned from it. It can be serious or funny. It can be from yesterday or from sometime in your past. I'd really love to read some of your pluck ups on the show so that we can inspire others with your story, mindset, and twists and turns along the way. This is going to be really fun. So send your voice message on Anchor or email me at liz at lizbohannon.co. Links to join the segment are on our show notes. I am so excited to hear from you all. All right, now let's get on with the show. You're listening to Plucking Up, a podcast that shares uninhibited conversations with celebrated authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders about their pluck ups and how they moved on and up to keep creating and building and inspiring others to build lives of purpose, passion, and impact. I'm your host, Liz Bohannon. So I've crossed paths quite a few times with our next guest, Todd Henry. We are on a similar kind of speaking circuit. But let me tell you, there is something that he told me literally behind stage. We were both getting ready to speak at this conference last year. And it was such a sage piece of advice that I really ruminated on it for many months and shared it with a lot of people. And that advice that he gave me was Don't let your blessings become your burdens. Not even going to get any more into that. I'm just going to leave you with that little nugget of Todd Henry backstage gold. Don't let your blessings become your burdens. Todd Henry, if you don't know, is a sought-after international speaker and the author of five books that have been translated into dozens of languages. Todd has helped hundreds of thousands of people generate brilliant ideas and do the best work of their lives. In this episode, Todd takes me back to 2005 when he started the Accidental Creative Podcast, which now has millions of downloads. And yeah, you learned me right. I said 2005 when like podcasts were like barely a thing, right? He was very cutting edge. Well, Todd tells me about his biggest pluck up, one that almost put him on the verge of quitting business and is the type of pluck up that you can like feel in your body and in your bones when you imagine yourself doing the same thing. Oh man, we cover parenting and the creative journey and why we should challenge the invisible narratives around work that we so often hear in organizations. And Todd gives us some really really good advice, I think, about how we can discern when it's time to dig in and to stick with something and when it might be time to let go. Without further ado, here's my interview with Todd Henry. Todd, it is so great to have you on the show and really, really great and fun to connect. And I'm I'm really excited that instead of getting to have a behind the scenes in the green room conversation that always comes with so much wisdom and inspiration that our whole community is going to get to listen in on this one. 
Well, I'm so thrilled to get to chat with you again. You know, really, it's been like I, our worlds had never crossed before last year. And I feel like all of a sudden our world started crossing all the time last year. And it was such a joy to get to know you. So this is just a continuation of that. I know we haven't seen each other during the outbreak during COVID, but yeah, it's a joy to get to spend some time with you. So for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with you and your work, Tell us a little bit about you, and let's start as far back as you can remember in the Todd Henry story. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what were you like as a kid, kind of those earliest inklings or not of where your journey would take you. So the first thing I remember wanting to be is Batman. Okay, solid choice. Um, and by the way, not like the cool sort of like the Dark Knight Batman, but like literally I'm wearing tights and a plastic helmet <laughs> Batman, you know, like from the <laughs> 1960s, 70s. Um, I had a little Batmobile and I just remember like riding around the neighborhood and looking for criminals that I could, you know, kind of take care of, um, which you can imagine how that went over with some of the older neighborhood kids. They love kind of beating up on Batman. I'm like, you can't do that on Batman. Um, the second thing I remember wanting to be, and I matured a little by now, so was, um, evil Knievel. Oh, um, okay. that was my second aspiration. And I realized like, you can't be a person who already is a person, mm. you know, like I can't be evil Knievel, but like I had an evil Knievel bike and I used to like ride it around and like jump off of ramps and you know, that kind of thing. Um, so that's, just, you said to go as far back as I can go. So those are the, you those did. are the first few things yeah. I remember. Um, but you know, I grew up kind of in like a rural environment and, um, you know, lots of farmland around me and you know, kind of had to like ride my bike miles and miles to get to my best friend's house kind of thing would leave the house in the morning. Nobody knew where I was and then kind of like be home by dinner, except, you know, like I could be anywhere in the thousands of square miles that were the County I grew yeah. up in, you know, on my bike and they had no idea where I was, um, no cell phones, no tracking, you know, whatever. And so the funny thing is, I think in that environment, Liz, I think that something was birthed in me, like a spirit of creative freedom mm. and expression and sort of a limitlessness and the kind of lack of boundaries that um, really has kind of served me well in what I do now. Because if we wanted to do something fun, it wasn't like, hey, let's uh, let's go to the mall and like watch a movie. You know, that would be like an hour drive to get to the nearest movie theater yeah, or to yeah. the mall. So it was like, hey, let's build a, let's see if we can build a helicopter using the motor from a lawnmower, you know, like, <laughs> let's see if we can make a helicopter and like not decapitate ourselves in the process. So we were always trying to like invent stuff to do, make things, um, you know, kind of trying to be creative as kids. And so, you know, fast forward a little bit, you know, being somebody who is an adult now, I make things, I talk about creativity, I teach people about collaboration it feels so much like a natural continuation of that mm. uh, that you know time growing up where we were just kind of free and we just kind of explore no boundaries no uh, nothing impeding our ability like let's go make a knockoff of Raiders of the Lost Ark in the woods like let's just go make a movie in the woods for like a week and a half you know like we would just do stuff like that and it was it was really fun so yeah so I think that's really when I think about the earliest days, I think most of what I'm doing now in terms of writing and teaching and being creative and helping other people be creative is a continuation of kind of what I was always doing as a kid. Yeah. Do you think that your parents did that really intentionally or was that just more a product of their parenting generation of like out of sight, out of mind until dinner time? Or do you feel like they did that with a real framework of kind of cultivating a spirit of 
curiosity and creativity and independence? No, I th- I think it was purely. I mean, I, I have wonderful parents, but I think it was purely accidental yeah. that it happened, right? Yeah. Like I think it's just you know that's just kind of the way it was. Like I think so. I grew up primarily in the eighties. I was born in the seventies, and primarily grew up in the eighties. And I think that you know in that time, like we were just maybe more naive, or there wasn't you know it wasn't like every time you turned on the news, it was like something unbelievable is going to kill your children, you know, tomorrow kind of thing. And so I think they were just kind of like, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like a, you know, a dog's going to chase him on his bike. I mean, what's going to happen? Like we're out in the middle of nowhere, you know, kind of thing. And so I I don't think it was an intentional choice, but it was definitely a huge, huge gift to grow up in that kind of environment. And we're trying our best, even though we live in a you know more urban environment, trying our best to let our kids experience that same degree of freedom to some extent yeah. as well, because I think it serves so well, you know, for kids to have that kind of sense of of freedom. Yeah. What is that? And we'll, we'll get back to you as a kid. I'm going to take us into parenting a little bit. I should just have a parenting podcast because I feel like I'm just so interested in people as parents that I often derail us in this direction. But I'm curious about how do you do that? What does that look like in your family? Have there been moments of tension between you really intentionally letting your kids have a little bit more freedom or independence and having maybe other parents or people in your community that are like uncomfortable with that? Like, have there been any moments of kind of tension between how, how long of a leash to give, if you will? Well, so I just want to like, to be clear, like my wife always says, do not talk about parenting because the moment you start giving parenting advice, like your kids are immediately going to start, you know, yeah. becoming screw ups <laughs> and Proving you wrong. you're going to be judged by like, think about every parenting book out there. Like the kids are just terrible. They're awful. Right. It's just like, you know. <laughs> there should be like a series, you know, the, like the MTV, where are they now? Like child stars, <laughs> there should be a version of that. Where are they now for uh, parents who write parenting books? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because I think, um, Every kid is unique and I think every kid requires something different. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that, I mean, just in my limited experience, one of the biggest mistakes I think that we make in parenting is that we treat all kids the same. Mm-hmm. And we always tell our oldest, um, hey, you know, you're our experiment. You know, we're experimenting <laughs> on you. Um, and, you know, fortunately, I mean, they're all great kids, but um, he's been really great about that, you know, because really, like, we we don't know, like when we started out, like the first couple of years, like we didn't let him watch TV, like even be in front of a TV for the first two years of his life. Mm. Right. And like, we would give them books, we would go to restaurants and we would make them sit at the table and like have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Like we didn't let them have devices and like we made them talk to the server and you know, that kind of stuff. And it just seemed really natural, but it's funny because so many people have come up to us over the years and just said Mm. like, your kids are so well behaved. Like, what do you mean? Like, they're just, sitting here and eating and, you know, but they're like, yeah, I know that's what I mean, you know? Um, so I think like, if you treat your kids, like you, you give them the responsibility of acting like adults mm-hmm. and expect that kind of behavior from them, they will reward you with, you know, taking more responsibility for their behavior, mm. which has been kind of an interesting thing. You know, it's almost like teenagers push for freedom, 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 freedom. But the moment they start to feel that, they're like, really, you sure you don't want to give me some boundaries? Because I re- it really, be, yeah. you know, like they they want it, but then when they get it, they kind of don't really want it. You know, they really want the the boundaries. And so, you know, I think the the hardest thing is just, you know, parenting is a constant negotiation against, um, you know, from the moment your kids are born, they're leaving. 
And so your job is to prepare them. I and mean, our oldest is going to be 18 here very soon. And uh, I mean, he'll like literally be an adult living under our roof. You know, we have an adult child living under our roof. And our only ambition is to make sure that when he finally leaves the house, that he's prepared to leave, that he is a fully functioning adult who can go out on his own and and do what he needs to do. And so um, when you start thinking about it in terms of like your job as a parent is really to prepare your kids to leave you. It's really sad when you think about it. But that's kind of, you know, it is, but that's kind of really what our job is. Yeah. And that really, I think, makes some of those decisions a little more clear yeah. when you start thinking of it through that lens. Yeah, that's really good. There's a book, and I can't remember what it is. I'll have to fact check this, but it refers to significant learning opportunities when you're raising your kids of like creating environments where they're making mistakes that won't destroy them, right? They won't be traumatic, but it, it is an opportunity for them to experience those consequences. I sent my four-year-old this like really funny kind of trashy American flag tank top that he's like obsessed with. And it's, you know, it's October in Portland now. It's like pretty cool and it's probably going to rain. And I was like, buddy, it's too cold to wear that to school. And he was like, I want to wear it. And I was like, okay, like you can wear it, but like you're going to be cold and you're going to be uncomfortable today. But if that's your choice, like it's not going to kill you, but really like wanting him, you know, like telling his teacher, like, don't save him. Like if he's cold and uncomfortable and can't play outside because he was determined to wear the tank top, like, you know, that is life. And that is the decision that you made. And I do find that the more often I let him make those decisions and have those significant learning opportunities, then all of a sudden hearing your four-year-old be like, "Ah, I think I should grab my sweatshirt for this day is like, oh, that's pretty cool. Well done. Yeah, it's a learning moment, but it's hard. You have to let them feel the consequences of their choices. Yeah. Right? Within boundaries, of yeah. course. And that's a hard thing to do. But like you said, you know, that I think they start making better decisions over time. I mean, just like we all do as we learn and we have, you know, more data to draw from, we make better decisions. But I think also that's part of that, you know, preparing them to be an adult um, yeah. kind of thing. And, and, you know, the earlier they kind of figure that out, I think the more opportunity they're going to have on the back end of it all. Okay, so you had this childhood and background of just creativity, imagination, creating stuff where it didn't exist before, entertaining yourself. Walk us through a little bit. Did you go to college after high school? And when did kind of the I'm a creative person how did that start to translate into, I am an author of written words and a speaker on the stage of spoken words and kind of manifest in the way that it has in your vocation? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because um, I did go to college. I studied marketing in school, but um, with the intent of becoming a full-time musician, like mm. I thought I'm never going to, I'm never going to use this education. Like I'm never, it's never going to be important to me, but I probably should go to college. So I have something as a backup, you know, for my superstardom, you know, <laughs> but I, you know, I'll just, I'll just make sure I have like a backup plan. And so I played, actually played music and, and partially um, paid for part of my education playing music. So mm. I would travel during the summer and play, you know, county fairs and festivals and, you know, and um, then I got out of college with my marketing degree and I was like, you know, 
it's kind of fun playing music. I think I'm going to see if I can make a run at this. Mm -hmm. So I spent actually the first five years of my professional life, if you want to call it that, as a traveling country music singer and had a lot of fun doing it. We got to travel around and and did shows with um, you know, the Dixie Chicks and Toby Keith and Kenny Chesney and like all these amazing acts. It was really fun. Um, but, you know, I mean, like was making no money doing it. I mean, hardly, you know, like barely getting by kind of thing. And, you know, as these stories kind of go, like, I, you know, met a girl and uh, she kind of was like, you know, maybe uh, music's not really like long term. This may not be like the best, maybe long term strategy for you. And it was hard. I mean, it's kind of hard yeah. when you begin realizing this thing you've dedicated so many years of your life to and that you really love probably isn't going to be your path. It's really hard to embrace that sometimes, but um, but she was right. She was 100% right because she saw things in me that I maybe didn't see in myself yet. Hmm. And so... Um, Did it feel like that in the moment when she, like, if you can go back to, you know, mid-20s Todd and, you know, you're in this relationship and you really like this girl and she kind of is like insinuating that maybe this isn't, you know, going to be the forever thing for you. What was your initial reaction to that? Was it a sense of relief of like, maybe she's right and she was willing to say something hard that I wasn't? Or did it feel like a lack of belief in you or like she was asking you to sacrifice something that was like core to who you were? No, it wasn't. It wasn't an ask to sacrifice. It was more like, because we made, we made a plan. Like we, mm. we said like, okay, we're going to give this a certain amount of time. Okay. And at the end of that time, if we don't see momentum, if we don't see significant progress, then it's going to be time to move on. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and that was absolutely the right way to handle it for sure. Because by that point, like you kind of get to a point when you're doing the music thing where you kind of are like, um, I'm either going to be really successful or I'm going to be like a 45 year old barista, <laughs> right? Like it's kind of like the, there's no like in between. Yeah. Like, well, I kind of made it. I kind of scraped totally. by. It's like. Either either it's going to work for you or it's just like not going to work for you. Yeah. And so I was kind of getting to that point where it's like, I need to fish or cut bait. And I knew, listen, I knew like I wanted to marry this girl. I knew um, and we were actually um, sort of on that path. And I continued playing music full time into the first year of our marriage. Right. And it was kind of this thing where it's like, we need to start building a life together mm -hmm. and that life needs to look like something that's sustainable and me like being out playing clubs being on the road that kind of stuff like that's not sustainable long term for a marriage in, in the same way right and some people choose that and that's great it's fine it just wasn't going to be our path i yeah. think yeah um and so it was hard it was really hard but that's kind of a principle i think of life that has really hit me in a profound way is like sometimes you have to let good things die so something better can be born. Mm -hmm. And when you do, not only do you have to let that thing die, but you also have to give yourself permission to mourn it. Oh, that's good. You know, I think you have to allow yourself the freedom to mourn dreams when they die. And that was like, that was a dream that was dying. It was something that I saw as part of my identity. Like, you know, this is what's going to happen. And, and it didn't happen. And so at that point, you have to you have to give yourself permission to mourn, but then you have to move on. Yeah. Like if you don't mourn it, it's going to kind of like hang around with you for a long time after. Um, and so after that, I ended up getting a really great job. I became a creative director for a nonprofit and had that job for about 10 years. Loved it, worked with some amazing people. But in the midst of that time, working together, started really asking some questions about how to create 
under pressure every day in a meaningful way because we're under a lot of pressure to produce a tremendous amount of work and just the expectations are really high. There's a really group of like really high functioning people. And so as I started coming up with some answers, like finding some answers for that in my research, I started a podcast called The Accidental Creative in 2005, which looking back on it now, it was like, that was, that was like really early. Very but at the cutting time, I thought edge. I was, yeah. But I thought I was like late to the podcast game in 2005. Oh, really? I was like, oh man, I'm so late to the game here. I don't know. Maybe there's no room is for me anymore. Is it even worth it? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is so good that you thought that in 2005. That's just yeah. such a good reminder because I feel that way all of the time about all of the things. And then when you're looking back, you're just like, what a numbskull, <laughs> you know? But like, I don't even know if I knew what a podcast was. And I think I I listened to um this american life right which is 2005 like, that was like which was I, the duh. only one you know yeah like they're like there were like 20 of us doing it or something yeah. but you know it's crazy and we had to tell people not to get on the sidetrack but like we had to tell people like okay and so you're going to take your ipod yeah and you're going to plug it in via firewire to your computer <gasps> and you're going to drag files to your ipod and then you can listen to them anywhere it's like so easy right it's so easy to listen to a podcast <laughs> It was just like this crazy thing. But um, so started this podcast and the podcast like, took off. The Axon Crave podcast took off. And then I started getting invitations. Just you and Ira Glass up there killing the <laughs> podcast game. <laughs> well, there were different, yeah, like sort of different <laughs> levels of success, right? Okay. Um, I was maybe like four or five or seven or 20 levels below Ira Glass. Anyway, um, but started getting invitations to go and like share some stuff with companies, um, hmm. getting invitations to go all over the country to, um, you know, to share some of the things in my episodes. People, people would be like, hey, just, will you just come out and just talk to us about what you talked about in episode 53, right? Oh, or whatever. Wow. It's yeah. like kind of cool. And so I realized, I think there's going to be, there's going to be like a business opportunity here. And hmm. so eventually kind of just said, all right, I'm going to try to make a go at this. And in the midst of all of that, got an offer for the first book, The Accidental Creative uh, from Penguin Random House. And so that kind of helped the decision a little bit when you have like a book yeah. launching at the same time you're launching a business. And so, um, so that book launched in 2011. I left before that to, to start this business. And so really for the last decade, this is what I've been doing. A little over a decade, I've been um, sort of traveling and teaching and writing books. Um, I've written five books now in the last 10 years and all with Penguin Random House and uh, teaching people how to be prolific, brilliant, and healthy. That is amazing. I love that you're story didn't really start with the end in mind of like, I want to be an author and a speaker. It was kind of more, it sounds like more of just like, what is the thing that I'm most interested in right now and creating something that you thought might be of value yes. to one other person that might listen to your podcast and then almost letting, it sounds like to some degree, letting that reaction help kind of guide like, oh, this is what people are finding valuable. And this is a format that they would find it even more valuable in if I came and actually spoke in person to their team right. about that. Um, does that feel like an accurate summary of kind of how the evolution of your business happened? It, it totally was. And and I'll even say this, like the Axion Creative wasn't my first podcast. You know, I had launched a couple of other podcasts just kind of like for fun on the side, yeah. you know, um, that were about different topics. And so I was already kind of playing around with the medium kind of on the side. It's kind of like back burner creating before I even launched the Accidental Creative in full. Um, and so, 
you know, it is it is funny how often the thing that we need solved becomes the thing that we are best equipped to solve for other people. Mm, and mm-hmm. that's really what happened with the Axion Creative. I was just really curious about all these topics and I came to some conclusions and started sharing them. People were like, wow, that's really helpful, you know? And yeah. then eventually that led to more opportunity to be able to interview other people and bring them on the show. And so it's funny how often our pursuit of a solution to our problem becomes the thing that actually is valuable to other people once we sort of, because a lot of people are asking the same questions. Oh, that's so good. And I think it was my friend Bob Goff on one of our earlier episodes talked about this idea of our purpose and our passion usually just being a series of like quarter turns yeah. from where we are. And it, I love that you had a few podcasts before that didn't catch on or that didn't solve that need. And instead of just, I think so often the temptation, right, is like, well, I tried that. I tried that and it didn't work. And so what I have to offer isn't valuable or people don't think I'm good enough or whatever it is. And so you just kind of like scrap it all together and that that can become a real narrative that keeps us actually from innovating and evolving the like we tried that before right. I, i've noticed like in a team dynamic it can be a really we have these these kind of wow magic wand sessions at our company and one of the kind of predators i have found to like good ideas and evolution and innovation can be the we tried that before and not being willing to say like of course you're not going to try the exact same thing over and over again like yes that's stupid and you shouldn't do that but was it that it was totally a, a wrong or bad idea or was it that the messaging was a little bit off or the way that we executed it or the timing or the resources that we put into it and like being willing to kind of tinker and make those like quarter turns. So it's like, no, maybe the medium is really good, but maybe the message and kind of the content needs to get tweaked a little bit over here to be something that like really resonates with the community that I'm trying to serve. Yeah. I mean, there, there are, um, you know, one of the most dangerous things to individuals and I think organizations are the assumptions that we believe. I call these ghost rules, these invisible Mm. narratives that guide our behavior. So, Things like that will never work around here, or we tried that once before, mm-hmm. or so-and-so will never go for that. I mean, these are little invisible narratives that become gospel truth yeah. in our organizations. And to your point, sometimes it's like, well, that'll never work around here really means, well, we tried that once, and maybe we had a bad execution of that idea, and it didn't work. And so now it's, that'll never work around here. Instead, maybe what we need to do is tweak some of the variables. Or yeah. for crying out loud, the, the environment is constantly changing. Maybe it didn't work two years ago, but maybe it'll work right now. You know, like yeah. if I had launched a podcast in 2001, it probably wouldn't have caught on, you know, but the market was right. Everything sort of aligned. And so I think we have to be really careful to routinely challenge the assumptions in our life that have become bounding arcs to where we're willing to explore and look for ideas. So in this podcast, we talk a lot about getting kind of beyond the highlight reel. We know that the highlight reel is just that. It's the highlight reel and that behind every highlight reel, there's lots of lowlights, <laughs> if that's a thing, low light reels, um, and behind the scenes and mistakes and uh, wrong turns, or as we affectionately refer to them, pluck ups along the way. So we would love if you would be generous enough to tell us about a mistake, a moment, a wrong turn in your journey that you can definitively look at and say like, yep, that was a pluck up. Yeah. So, um, so I mentioned that in 2005 is when I launched 
my podcast and I had built sort of like a little business around it. So I had like a kind of like a little membership site that I mm. built as kind of a revenue model early on. And, nice. um, you know, I was trying to do everything myself. I mean, I was really like totally on a shoestring budget trying to build this thing out. And so just reinvesting everything that I made back into the business, which wasn't much anyway. And at one point in 2007, something happened and it was it was getting really really hard to keep this going to keep this business going to keep the podcast going like really hard just to keep things moving forward taking so much of my energy i mean i was like working from 5 30 to 7 30 in the morning going wow. into work coming home at night and working from like eight o'clock to ten o'clock at night like after the kids were down kind of thing like every single day of the week and it was just and my job was already like a 60 hour a week job, you wow. know? So it was like, I was just really putting in so much time trying to make things happen. So somehow one night, my website and the database in my website, I did something stupid and somehow it just got corrupted. It just completely got all messed up. I lost all the members of the membership site. I lost basically like all my content, everything I'd spent all this time oh working on. I didn't have gosh. backups because of course I didn't have backups because I was like an amateur trying to do all this stuff on my own in 2007, you know? And I just remember I walked out of my little home office. It was right next to our living room and my wife was sitting on the couch reading or watching TV or something. And I just kind of sat down on the floor and slumped and like almost started crying. I mean, she could see I was tearing up and she said, what's going on? I said, I just ruined everything. I just ruined everything. Oh it's all gone. Gosh. All the data, all the revenue, all the content, like it's all gone. I don't even know what I did. I truthfully don't even know what I did to mess all of this up. And I said, I, th I think I'm done. I don't have the energy to go back and rebuild all of this. I just don't. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I'm going to give this up. It was a fun hobby for a while. I'm done. Wow. I'm done. And she turned to me and she looked at me and she said, if that's what you choose, that's fine. You can do that. But I think you've worked too hard to give up on this. And I think you should go back in and see what you can do. I think you should try to figure this out because this is making you come alive, even though it's hard. But this is, I believe this is really consistent with who you are and like where you're going. Mm. You need to go figure this out. And so after about 10 minutes of woe is me and commiserating and, you know, just feeling sorry for myself. I got back up and I went back. This is like at 9.30 at night. I went back, got back up. I went back into my office and spent probably about three or four hours just like playing around with stuff. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't get it back where it was. I have no idea what, what was going on, but like I'd made the commitment at that point, like, hmm. okay, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep trying to build this thing. And, uh, I think fell asleep like at my desk, you know, um, woke up in the morning and refreshed the website and somehow the entire database had like healed itself overnight. Like, I don't know if the web service had gone back and like noticed something was wrong and they refreshed, like they basically like reinstalled from an old database or I don't know what happened, but somehow the entire thing just like healed itself overnight. And it was like the most incredible feeling because the night before, I was like ready to close it all down, yeah. delete everything, delete the database, just get rid of the website, say, okay, it was a fun run. And so, you know, I think all entrepreneurs have those moments where they think it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. It always feels that way in the middle. It always does. Every creative journey is a U-shape. 
you know, you start out and you're like mm-hmm. on this plateau and you're really high and you're like, this is going to be amazing and I can see forever and I can see exactly where I'm going to end up. And then you hike down into the valley and it's cold and it's wet and it's dark and you can't see the path and you can no longer see the destination because it's up on the other side of the ravine. And the hardest part is still ahead of you because you still have to climb the ravine to get out of it, right? And I think everybody in those moments has that question of, is this worth it? Should I keep moving forward or should I just give up? Um, Seth Godin calls this the dip, right? Mm -hmm. I think we all experience that. There's always going to be a lag between cause and effect, a lag between effort and results. Yes. And so many entrepreneurs give up in the lag. They just do. And so I think for me, that moment was the moment where I really had to do a gut check and say, is this really where I want to go? And frankly, Liz, if I had in that moment quit, it would have been fine. It would have been fine, but you and I would not be talking right now. I wouldn't have written five books in the last 10 years. I wouldn't have gotten to speak at the Global Leadership Summit last year. Like, If I had given up in that moment, I have no idea what I would have been forfeiting in my life because I would have given up when it got hard. And yeah. so I think you know, there are times to give up. There are times to pivot, to move, like you said, to make that quarter turn and to go in a different direction. And there's nothing wrong with that when you do that. But I think you have to make sure that when you do that, you're doing it for the right reasons, not just because Mm -hmm. it got hard, because anything worth doing is hard. If it wasn't hard, tons of people would be doing it. Oh my gosh. First of all, I got actually physically nauseous when you were telling that story. (laughs) Like that out of your control technology, the dog ate my homework, but really it's just gone that is so sinking of a feeling. I, I remember actually reading, this was probably five years ago, someone on Instagram that I follow, and I can't remember who it was, I think I know, posted about how they had just, I'm only laughing because it's so bad. They had just finished their manuscript and their computer died and they didn't have a backup of it. And like, I sat there, I don't even know this person, I'm not connected with them, but like in my body, I felt that like loss, the loss of that work. And then I think like there's something about beginning, but then like recreating is like has to be like detrimental to the human soul, like trying to get back to the thing that you created versus like starting from page one in the first place. I can't imagine sitting on that living room floor, how daunting the idea of like just simply recreating all of that work would have been. Oof, oh my gosh, I just am feeling that on a body level. My question, I guess, would be, I'm so interested because you have these two parallel stories, right? Like you have Todd in his mid-20s having to make the decision to give up this dream of being a musician. And then you have Todd in his, I don't know how old you were at that point, maybe late 20s or? I would have been uh, probably... Wow, it's a great question. I would have been probably like early 30s. Okay, so Todd in his early 30s now wrestling with, do I give up? You know, do I go in a different direction? And two very different decisions that were made of when to stay and when to quit. And so because you've had that really profound experience of staying and quitting, I'm really curious about how do you 
to any of our listeners who are in a spot where they're asking themselves this question of like, is it worth it? Do I stay in it? Do I stick with it? Or is it time for me to mourn the loss of this dream and to let it go and to bless and release it, if you will, and to move on to the next thing so that something better can grow in its place? Have you learned throughout this journey that you've been on, like, are there a few key questions that you can ask yourself that get you to that, the truest version of that answer. What can you tell us about how to do that well? So there are a lot of variables. If you compare the stories, there are a lot of variables in the stories, but there is one constant in both stories. And that relates to my answer to your question, which is the one constant is that my wife was there speaking Mm, truth to me in both situations. Um, In one situation, truth maybe that I didn't want to hear. And in the other situation, truth that maybe I hoped I would hear, but didn't, wasn't ready to embrace yet. Yeah. We can only truly know ourselves through the eyes of other people. Mm. Staring inside, navel-gazing, doing all kinds of self-reflection, that's fine. That's fine. But we don't exist in a vacuum. We exist in a community. We're interdependent upon one another. And so, We need others in our lives to help us understand ourselves, and we need others in our lives to speak truth to us. So we have to have mirrors in our life. We have to have people who are willing to tell us things maybe that we don't see or things that we don't want to hear at certain key pivotal moments. So for anybody who's trying to make that decision about, do I quit? Do I keep going? What do I do? The best advice I have is that you need to seek the counsel of people around you who have seen you over a period of time, Mm -hmm. who have seen you at your best, who have seen you at your worst, people who understand your strengths and also your weaknesses, who can speak truth to you and tell you, here's what I see in you. Here's what I see in this opportunity. Here is why I think this is or is not a good opportunity for you right now at this point in time, which is always a difficult thing to hear, right? Yeah. Um, If somebody's saying, I don't think this is the right opportunity for you, but I really want to do it. Yeah, but here's why I don't think it's the right opportunity right now. It it will be at some point, but maybe maybe not right now. Or Mm -hmm. um, here's why I think you need to give up and move. Here's why I think maybe you need to end this relationship and move on right? Maybe it's somebody who's in a dating relationship and somebody's speaking truth to them. And it's like, now you need to end this relationship and move on. Let me tell you why. And I'm going to speak truth to you that you don't want to hear, but here, you know, I mean, this applies to so many different circumstances. I was speaking at an event for the U.S. Air Force a couple of years ago at Air University, which is like all of these senior leaders. And this, um, a general who was actually on the Joint Chiefs of Staff was one of the other speakers at the event. And we were both kind of in the green room together. And he came up to me and I I was like turned around and I was like eating a blueberry muffin or something and I turned around and then all of a sudden here's this like general standing in front of me. I think I like spit blueberry bits all over his (laughs) suit or something. But um, he asked me, you know, what is, what's the most important thing I need to know about creativity? And in the moment, Liz, I think I was like so stunned. I, I just said like, I don't even remember what I said. I said like, creativity, good. You be creative. You're like <laughs> something totally ridiculous. But um, I did have the wherewithal in the moment to ask him, what's the most important thing I should know about leadership? And he said, the most important thing you need to know about leadership is that you need people around you to speak truth to you mm. before you realize you need people around you to speak truth to you. Oh, that's so good. By the time you realize you need it, it's too late. Mm-hmm. And so the best advice I have for people right now who are thinking about their lives in a holistic way is right now you need to start finding people in your life who will speak truth to you and you need to be, begin building into those relationships and letting them see into your life and letting them yeah. see the patterns in your life and your highs and your lows. And you need to be doing the same for them. 
Because there is going to come a time when you're going to be facing that situation. Do I quit? Do I keep going? Do I pivot? Do I take this job? Do I not? And you need people around you who can say, as much as I know you really want to do this, I don't think this is a good opportunity for you. And let me let me explain why. Or I know you don't think this is a good opportunity for you, but let me explain to you why I think this might be the best thing that will ever happen to you. Or maybe I know you really want to do this and I completely bless that decision. This is absolutely the right thing, for, you know, yeah. but we need people who are willing to hold up a mirror to our lives and show us what yeah. they see. So that would be, I think, the constant in both of those situations in my life. That's so good. There's so much wisdom in that. I love, I love, love, love that. Not just the callback to the importance of community and our interdependence, but of the discipline, you know, that like you cannot phone a friend out of nowhere in the midst of a crisis, you know, like that that is something that you have to be sowing into today, anticipating that tomorrow or two years from now, you know, that there will be a moment that you need to call those people in. And without that history of honesty and transparency, you know, I think about this has happened to me multiple times on a professional level, honestly, even last year in my marriage. Like there was just this conflict that Ben and I kind of kept coming back to that we finally just had to take it to our friends. And we were like, we're going to sit here and we're going to have this conversation like gladiator style in the middle of the ring. And all y'all are going to watch it go down because we are so (laughs) stuck in this like cycle of not understanding one another. But like, you can't like, you know, call up the PTA parents that you've seen once a quarter and say right. like, hey, will you watch will you will you watch me and my husband fight and speak truth into this? Like the predecessor, I guess, to that, right, was like years and years and years of together every Wednesday night. And every Wednesday night, we talk about the highs, we talk about the lows, we talk about the joys, we talk about the sorrows. And then in the midst of like that crisis moment of like, we are at an impasse, we can't seem to hear one another, we need help is when then you get to call in your people who get to then speak so much truth in life, not just out of like, well, here's the data that I have in this moment, but I'm pulling in all of this data from like last year and the year before. And I love that actionable encouragement of like, what is it that you are going to do today in order to build the community and the support system and the transparency and the authority? I think for me is like a really big thing, like in my community and in my friendships, like I like to tell people when they have authority in my life, because there's plenty of people that don't. Right. And part of being a leader is knowing who doesn't have authority in your life and whose opinion is just literally none of your business. Hint, basically everyone on the internet (laughs) falls into this category, right? But for those few select people of making sure that they know, like you have the authority to speak into my life and to call me back to myself. And I'm going to I'm going to trust you, not blindly, like obviously there's still discernment and wisdom. And, you know, at the end of the day, the wisdom of your friends still has to resonate with your inner wisdom, you know? And, but oftentimes I found, I don't know if you found this, that like somebody giving you advice, even if it's the wrong advice can almost be so beneficial because it sparks something in you that's like, oh, I didn't know I wanted that that bad right. until you told me that, you know, and so it's like, it's not even on the other person to be like this, like, you know, mind reader, eight ball prophet, right? That it's like, even in the messiness of sometimes people giving us not the right advice, it leads us together in the context of community to actually like the next best thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's the value of community, period, right? Is that it illuminates for us things that we 
don't even realize we need that chemical reaction of relationship. You know, sometimes what, like you said, somebody will spark something that sets a fire ablaze in you, but had that person not been there, that fire wouldn't be blazing. And so just having conversations with people you trust can be so valuable, even if they don't, even if they say the most ridiculous things or things that aren't even helpful to you necessarily, just having that conversation can be valuable in clarifying your own perceptions, your own thoughts. That's why, you know, that's why I call it being a mirror, right? Because they're basically reflecting Mm. back to you what's going on in your own world, but they're just doing it from a, a more objective point of view. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. I asked that question and I was like, man, the like, that's a hard question. You know, like when to quit, when to stay, the likelihood that you get a good piece of like actionable, tactical advice out of that, I felt like was pretty low. And you just, you just hit it out of the park. I just feel so (laughs) satisfied with that. You just really gave us something to uh, sink our teeth into. So I really appreciate that. Todd, tell us a little bit about, you have an imminent book on the horizon. Tell us about what's next for you, your hopes, your dreams, this labor, most recent labor of love. Yes, I do. Um, As we're speaking, actually, the book comes out October 6th. Um, So by the time you listen, it's probably already out. Um, It's called The Motivation Code. And it is the result of over 50 years of research. My partners and I have leveraged over 50 years of research, uh, over a million achievement stories. And we've uh, parsed those, um, borrowing from the research of many, many who have gone before us, parsed those into uh, 27 unique themes of motivation that drive us. And so the book really helps people identify what are the unique drivers that animate behavior, fulfillment, and deep life satisfaction and work satisfaction. Um, And so it's really been a multi-multi-year process of bringing this into the world. It's the first time I've partnered with multiple PhDs and an entire team of people who have been doing this work for decades, by the way, even before I got there, to bring this kind of work into the world. But it so deeply impacted me when I first encountered it several years ago that I've got to find a way to get this into the world. Um, and so, yeah, so it's the, the book's called The Motivation Code. There's also a motivation code assessment that, uh, again, has been around for a long time that will help you discover what it is that really drives you. Ah, you guys, this book needs to be in the world. Whether you're an individual who's just like needs understanding about how do I work and how do I operate and what motivates me and what makes me tick. Or also from my perspective of, you know, I run a sales and marketing organization. Like, are you kidding me? That's like the Midas touch. If you can help folks and figure out and have like a framework and science behind how do we stay motivated and motivate and keep it going and a real understanding of those like common truths that all humans have. And then also the really unique and individual ways in which we experience, you know, rewards and satisfaction. Um, Just so, so valuable. So I'm so excited for you for launch day, but I'm also really, really excited for everybody that's going to benefit from a lot, a lot of research and thought and intention um, that has gone into this and and really believe um, that it's going to make a dent in the universe, if you will. Awesome. Well, you're speaking my motivational language because my top motivational (laughs) theme is make an impact. So you just spoke Oh, well, there you go. I I hacked into your motivation code quiz and I knew that. And so I just wanted to deliver that on a silver platter to you. Todd, this was such a joy. You are such a light. You have so much uh, just tactical and practical wisdom, but also just such a such a whimsical and creative way that you deliver those truths. And I'm so grateful for 
your friendship and for your green your green room behind stage mentorship and really grateful uh, for your time today on the podcast. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me and I can't wait until the other side of this and our paths cross again. It's going to happen. It is, is going to happen. Gosh, I just love it. I just do. I love it when creative, successful, smart people are also just good people. And Todd Henry is good people. I can tell you that. I really hope you all enjoyed this episode and that you're feeling inspired, encouraged, and a little less alone. This podcast was made possible in part by our sponsor, Baker Publishing Group, and my amazing producers, Human Group Media. For updates and announcements about the show, you can also visit lizbohannon.co or follow us on Instagram. I'm at lizbohannon or at sincerelyhuman or human underscore media on Twitter. That's all, guys. I'll catch you again in the next episode. And until then, stay plucky.